Section 5 of the Second Jungle Book This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling Section 5 The Miracle of Purin Bagat, Part 2 That day saw the end of Purin Bagat's wanderings. He had come to the place appointed for him, the silence and the space. After this time stopped, and he, sitting at the mouth of the shrine, could not tell whether he were alive or dead. A man with control of his limbs, or a part of the hills, and the clouds, and the shifting rain and sunlight. He would repeat a name softly to himself a hundred hundred times, till, at each repetition, he seemed to move more and more out of his body, sweeping up to the doors of some tremendous discovery. But just as the door was opening, his body would drag him back, and with grief he felt he was locked up again in the flesh and bones of Purunbagat. Every morning the filled begging bowl was laid silently in the crutch of the roots outside the shrine. Sometimes the priest bought it, sometimes a Ladakhi trader, lodging in the village and anxious to get merit, trudged up the path. But more often it was the woman who had cooked the meal overnight, and she would murmur, hardly above her breath, Speak for me before the gods, Bagat. Speak for such a one, the wife of so-and-so. Now and then some bold child would be allowed the honour and Purim Bagat would hear him drop the bowl and run as fast as his little legs could carry him. But the Bagat never came down to the village. It was laid out like a map at his feet. He could see the evening gatherings held on the circle of the threshing floor, because that was the only level ground, could see the wonderful unnamed green of the young rice, the indigo blues of the Indian corn, the dock-like patches of buckwheat, and, in its season, the red bloom of the amaranth, whose tiny seeds, being neither grain nor pulse, make a food that can be lawfully eaten by Hindus in time of fasts. When the year turned, the roofs of the hut were all little squares of purest gold, for it was on the roofs that they laid out their cobs of corn to dry. Hiving and harvest, rice-sowing and husking, passed before his eyes, all embroidered down there on the many-sided plots of fields, and he thought of them all and wondered what they all led to at the long last. Even in populated India, a man cannot a day sit still before the wild things run over him, as though he was a rock. And in that wilderness very soon the wild things, who knew Kali's shrine well, came back to look at the intruder. The langurs, the big grey-whiskered monkeys of the Himalayas, were naturally the first, for they are alive with curiosity, and when they had upset the begging bowl, and rolled it round the floor, and tried their teeth on the brass-handle crutch, and made faces at the antelope skin, they decided that the human being who sat so still was harmless. At evening they would leap down from the pines, and beg with their hands for things to eat and then swing off in graceful curves. They liked the warmth of the fire, too, and huddled round it till Perenbagat had to push them aside to throw on more fuel. 
and in the morning, as often as not, he would find a furry ape sharing his blanket. All day long one or other of the tribe would sit by his side, staring out at the snows, crooning and looking unspeakably wise and sorrowful. After the monkeys came the barasing, that big deer which is like our red deer but stronger. He wished to rub off the velvet of his horns against the cold stones of Kali's statue, and stamped his feet when he saw the man at the shrine. But Purumbagat never moved, and little by little the royal stag edged up and nuzzled his shoulder. Purumbagat slid one cool hand along the hot antlers, and the touch soothed the fretted beast, who bowed his head, and Purumbagat very softly rubbed and ravelled off the velvet. Afterwards the barasingh bought his doe and fawn, gentle things that mumbled on the holy man's blanket, or would come alone at night, his eyes green in the fire flicker, to take his share of fresh walnuts. At last the musk deer, the shyest and almost the smallest of the deerlets, came too, her big rapidy ears erect, even brindled. Silent Mashik Nabba must needs find out what the light at the shrine meant and drop out her moose-like nose into Purumbagat's lap, coming and going with the shadows of the fire. Purumbagat told them all my brothers, and his low call of Baha'i, Baha'i would draw them from the forest at noon, if they were within earshot. The Himalayan black bear, moody and suspicious, Sona, who has the V-shaped white mark under his chin, passed that way more than once. And since the bagat showed no fear, Sona showed no anger, but watched him and came closer, and begged a share of the caresses and a dole of bread or wild berries. Often in the still dawns, when the bagat would climb to the very crest of the pass to watch the red day walking along the peaks of the snows, he would find Sona shuffling and grunting at his heels, thrusting a curious forepaw under fallen trunks, and bringing it away with a woof of impatience, or his early steps would wake sooner where he lay curled up, and the great brute, rising erect, would think to fight until he heard the bagot's voice and knew his best friend. Nearly all hermits and holy men who live apart from the big cities have the reputation of being able to work miracles with the wild things. But all the miracle lies in keeping still, in never making a hasty movement, and, for a long time at least, in never looking directly at a visitor. The villagers saw the outline of the Barasingh stalking like a shadow through the dark forest behind the shrine, saw the Minnow, the Himalayan pheasant, blazing in her best colours before Kali's statue, and the Langas on their haunches, inside, playing with the walnut cells. Some of the children, too, had heard Sona singing to himself, bare fashion, behind the fallen rocks, and the bagat's reputation as miracle worker stood firm. Yet nothing was further from his mind than miracles. He believed that all things were one big miracle, and when a man knows that much he knows something to go upon. He knew for a certainty that there was nothing great and nothing little in this world, and that day and night he strove to think out his way into the heart of things, back into the place whence his soul had come. 
So thinking, his untrimmed hair fell down upon his shoulders. The stone slab at the side of the antelope skin was dented into a little hole by the foot of his brass-handled crutch, and the place between the tree trunks, where the begging bowl rested day after day, sunk and wore into a hollow almost as smooth as the brown shell itself, and each beast knew his exact place at the fire. The fields changed their colours with the seasons, the threshing-floors filled and emptied, and filled again and again and again and again. When winter came, the langurs frisked amongst the branches feathered with light snow, till the mother monkeys brought their sad-eyed little babies up from the warmer valleys with the spring. There were few changes in the village. The priest was older and many of the little children who used to come with the begging dish sent their own children now. And when you asked of the villagers how long their holy man had lived at Kali's shrine at the head of the pass, they answered, always. Then came such summer rains as had not been known in the hills for many seasons. Through three good months the valley was wrapped in cloud and soaking mist, steady, unrelenting downfall, breaking off into thunder-shower after thunder-shower. Kali's shrine stood above the clouds for the most part, and there was a whole month in which the Bagat never caught a glimpse of his village. It was packed away under a white floor of cloud that swayed and shifted and rolled on itself and bulged upwards, but never broke from its piers, the streaming flanks of the valley. At that time he heard nothing but the sound of a million little waters, overhead from the trees and underfoot along the ground, soaking through the pine needles, dripping from the tongues of draggled fern, and spouting in newly torn muddy channels down the slopes. Then the sun came out and drew forth the good incense of the deodars and the rhododendrons, and that far-off clean smell, which the hill people call the smell of the snows. The hot sunshine lasted for a week, and then the rains gathered together for their last downpour, and the water fell in sheets that slayed off the skin of the ground and leapt back in mud. Perrin Bagat heaped his fire high that night, for he was sure his brothers would need warmth, but never a beast came to the shrine, though he called and called till he dropped asleep, wondering what had happened in the woods. It was in the black heart of night, the rain drumming like a thousand drums, that he was roused by a plucking at his blanket, and stretching out felt the little hand of a languor. It is better here than in the trees, he said sleepily, loosing a fold of blanket. Take it and be warm. The monkey caught his hand and pulled hard. Is it food then? said Parambaga. Wait a while and I will prepare some. As he knelt to throw fuel on the fire, the langur ran to the door of the shrine, crooned and rang back again, plucking at the man's knee. "'What is it? What is thy trouble, brother?' said Purimbagat, for the langur's eyes were full of things he could not tell. "'Unless one of thy cast be in a trap, and none set traps here, I will not go into that weather. Look, brother, even the Barasing comes for shelter.' The deer's antlers clashed as he strode into the shrine, clashed against the grinning statue of Kali. He lowered them in Perun Badat's direction and stamped uneasily, hissing through his half-shut nostrils. 
"'Hi, hi, hi!' said the baguette, snapping his fingers. "'Is this payment for a night's lodging?' But the deer pushed him toward the door. And as he did so, Param Bhagat heard the sound of something opening with a sigh, and saw two slabs of the floor draw away from each other, while the sticky earth below smacked its lips. "'Now I see,' said Param Bhagat. "'No blame to my brothers that they did not sit by the fire to-night. "'The mountain is falling, and yet why should I go?' His eye fell on the empty begging bowl, and his face changed. They have given me good food daily since since I came, and if I am not swift, to-morrow there will be not one mouth in the valley. Indeed, I must go and warn them below. Back there, brother, let me get to the fire. The brassing backed unwillingly as Perimbagat drove a pine torch deep into the flames, twirling it till it was well lit. "'Ah, ye came to warn me,' he said, rising. "'Better than that we shall do, better than that. "'Out now, and lend me thy neck, brother, for I have but two feet.' He clutched the bristling withers of the barasing with his right hand, held the torch away with his left, and stepped out of the shrine into the desperate night. There was no breath of wind, but the rain nearly drowned the flare as the great deer hurried down the slope, sliding on his haunches. As soon as they were clear of the forest, more of Bagat's brothers joined them. He heard them. He heard, though he could not see, the langurs pressing about him, and behind him the ah-ah uh, uh, of Sonna. The rain matted his long white hair into ropes, the water splashed between his bare feet, and his yellow robe clung to his frail old body. But he stepped down steadily, leaning against the barasing. He was no longer a holy man but Sir Param Das, K.C.I.E., Prime Minister of no small state, a man accustomed to command, going out to save life. Down the steep, plashy path they poured all together, the bagat and his brothers, down and down till the deer's feet clicked and stumbled on the wall of a threshing-floor, and he snorted because he smelt man. Now they were at the head of the one crooked village street, and the bagat beat with his crutch on the barred windows of the blacksmith's house, as his torch blazed up in the shelter of the eaves. "'Up and out!' cried Baram Bagat. He did not know his own voice, for it was years since he had spoken aloud to a man. "'The hill falls! The hill is falling! Up and out! O oh, you within!' "'It is our bagat,' said the blacksmith's wife. "'He stands amongst his beast. Gather the little ones and give the call.' It ran from house to house while the beasts, cramped in the narrow way, surged and huddled around the bagat, and Sonna puffed impatiently. The people hurried into the street. They were no more than seventy souls all told, and in the glare of the torches they saw the bagat holding back the terrified barasing, while the monkeys plucked piteously at his skirts and Sona sat on his haunches and roared. "'Across the valley and up the next hill!' shouted Perenbagat. "'Leave none behind. We follow.' Then the people ran as only hill folk can run, for they knew that in a landslip you must climb for the highest ground across the valley. They fled, splashing through the little river at the bottom, and panted up the terraced fields on the far side, while the Bagat and his brothers followed. Up and up the opposite mountain they climbed, calling to each other by name, 
the roll-call of the village, and at their heels toiled the big barasingh, weighted by the failing strength of Purunbagat. At last the deer stopped in the shadow of a deep pine-wood, five hundred feet up the hillside. His instinct, that had warned him of the coming slide, told him he would be safe here. Purungagat dropped fainting by his side, for the chill of the rain and that fierce climb were killing him. But first he called to the scattered torches ahead, Stay and count your numbers. Then, whispering to the deer as he saw the lights gather in a cluster, Stay with me, brother, stay till I go. There was a sigh in the air that grew to a mutter, and a mutter that grew to a roar, and a roar that passed all sense of hearing, and the hillside on which the villagers stood was hit in the darkness and rocked to the blow. Then a note as steady, deep and true as the deep sea of an organ drowned everything for perhaps five minutes, while the very roots of the pines quivered to it. It died away, and the sound of the rain falling on miles of hard ground and grass changed to the muffled drum of water on soft earth that told its own tale. Never a villager, not even the priest, was bold enough to speak to the begat who had saved their lives. They crouched under the pines and waited till the day. When it came, they looked across the valley and saw that what had been forest and terraced field and track-threaded grazing ground was one raw, red, fan-shaped smear with a few trees flung head down on the scarp. That red ran, up, ran high up the hill of their refuge, damming back the little river, which had begun to spread into a brick-covered lake. Of the village, of the road to the shrine, of the shrine itself and the forest behind, there was no trace. For one mile in width and two thousand feet in sheer depth, the mountainside had come away boldly, planned clean from head to heel. And the villagers, one by one, crept through the wood to pray before their begat. They saw the Barasingh standing over him, who fled when they came near, and they heard the langurs wailing in the branches, and Sona moaning up the hill. But their begat was dead, sitting cross-legged, his back against a tree, his crutch under his armpit, and his face turned to the northeast. The priest said, Behold, a miracle after a miracle, for in this very attitude must all Saniasis be buried. Therefore, where he now is, we will build a temple to our holy man. They built the temple before a year was ended, a little stone and earth shrine, and they called the hill the Bagot's Hill, and they worship there with lights and flowers and offerings to this day. But they do not know that the saint of their worship is the late Sir Param Das, KCIE, DCL, PhD, etc. Once Prime Minister of the Progressive and Enlightened State of Mohinawala, an honorary or corresponding member of more learned and scientific societies that will ever do any good in this world or the next. End of section 5